0: This is, this is kind of what an entrepreneur is all about. It's uh, you, you take what you're given and you make something out of it.
1: I'm Eddie Merma, and you're listening to the first episode of Essential Work, a podcast series about how people in the Mad River Valley are being impacted by the global health crisis. Today, we interview two local business owners about what it was like to close down and how they're adapting to uncertainty. My co-host is Ross Wade, Ross is a student at Harwood High School, and before they closed, he worked weekends for Brian Lewis at Toast and Eggs.
0: Toast and Eggs is a uh, breakfast restaurant that provided artisan breads, uh, house-made English muffins and donuts, and uh, gluten-free, dairy-free options were available. Um, We really tried to be a well-rounded place so that um, anyone could come in uh, even if they had dietary restrictions.
2: When did you close your business and what do you anticipate for the future as a restaurant owner?
0: Going forward, you know, I, I don't really see a future for restaurants or even my restaurant um, as they have been previously imagined. Uh, I, I, I feel as if maybe 12 to 18 months from now, restaurants may get back to what they were. But for the foreseeable future, uh, COVID-19 has completely changed what Toast and Eggs was or or will be. Um, It's gonna have to be completely reinvented in order to survive.
2: What was it like making the decision to close your restaurant?
0: That last Sunday we were open, I was uh, nervous for myself, for my employees. It's a very busy restaurant. It's a small place. It, we service a lot of people. You know, I have a seven month old son at home. Mises' son, Koji, uh, who, I, who I think of as my own, is, you know, six and he has asthma. And there's just so many different reasons. Um, it was just like super simple. Uh, I spoke briefly with my executive chef. And, uh, we made the decision, you know, we, we honestly had talked about it about a month ahead. I I called a meeting with everyone and and we sat down and, you know, I I wanted them to know that I thought this was going to be serious. And, uh, so this, it wasn't like it was a decision that was made quickly or lightly, but it wasn't a hard decision to make. Um keeping in mind everyone's health and, you know, not wanting to be that place that helped spread this to the community.
2: And Brian, you said that you were talking with your employees about the possibility of closing a month ahead of time. How do you prepare for closure that would last weeks or months?
0: Yeah, we, we actually slowed way down about a week ahead. <laughs> we, we really cut back on our orders. We cut back on our prep Um, In anticipation, one, we were coming into a slower time of year. Um, But two, uh, the initial thought process, you know, that I I said, if we close, it'll probably be for four to six weeks. Um, And so we kind of like dwindled down and, you know, there's stuff you can freeze. and, And, you know, if we're not open, there's stuff that our families can eat as well. You know, it's not like anything would go to waste. But I think my initial projection of four to six weeks of opening up a restaurant and and what people think of as a restaurant was grossly underestimating what I think this virus is going to do to the service industry.
1: What do you think restaurant owners need to do to adapt to the changing market?
0: The only thing that I feel that will get you through this, uh, like for me, is, is to reinvent what my business is and maybe some people will be able to just open back up and it won't be that much of a change for them I'm not sure but I think if you're a restaurant owner you need to reinvent your business I think everyone needs to try and think outside the box and this is this is kind of what an entrepreneur is all about it's uh you take what you're given and you make something out of it
2: how is your business plan going to change once Toast & Eggs reopens?
0: I think what that's going to look like, uh, I think Toast & Eggs is actually in a really unique position. Our, our kitchen is so well-equipped, um, being that it's a chef-owned place. Uh, we, can, we can really make that uh, into something really cool. And what I think that's going to be is like we've already – are known for our, our baked goods and our breads and our donuts and our muffins, and so it'll be easily easy to uh, you know be a bakery, and people can order their baked goods online and, and pick them up. Um, we can also very easily do um, prepared foods, um, pickled items. I mean, w- we can just like start churning out food uh, in, in lots of different ways. And that's why, like, I don't really know if, like, when we do reopen, if it'll be toast and eggs. It's it's gonna be, you know, more of a prepared food market. Um, you know, like a a bakery, a delicatessen, um, where you can pick up full meals. Uh, You can also pick up small grocery items. Nothing in house, and uh, you know, all online ordering would be available. You know, and, and that's like. In the in the really near future, as far as when we plan to do this, I I would say definitely by the end of April. I don't want to wait much longer to get open. I feel like we can be um, of of service to the community. Like you know, for for people who don't want to go into a large grocer, um, they could call us and we could have everything boxed up and ready for them, and they could just come pick it up.
1: What does it feel like planning for the future with in such an uncertain time?
0: when things are the way they are and and in like this world that's kind of going through this change, it's like, honestly, like, I just want to like be home a bunch. I you know, like, it's going to be difficult to go back down and spend all my time, um, at the restaurant when things are as weird as they are. Um, I think everyone's probably a little bit drawn and wanting to spend more time with their families and maybe realizing, uh, just, um, how fragile things are. But at the same time, like you got to get back out there.
2: Thank you so much, Brian, for taking the time to talk to us today.
0: And uh, thanks guys. I, I appreciate the time.
1: Brian Lewis is the owner of Toast and Eggs Restaurant in Waitsfield, Vermont. Next up, we'll be talking with Misa Dikengil about her experience running Valley Glow Yoga and finding ways to continue teaching and healing.
3: My name is Misa Dekengil, and I own Valley Glow Yoga. Our mission, when I opened the studio, was to create a space that offers daily yoga practice, because I think that that can change people's lives when it's a consistent daily practice, and a safe space. So I try... Um, to have all of our classes be really accessible, open to everyone, and also there's awareness of trauma. So not necessarily all classes are trauma-informed, but we talk about it as a group of teachers a lot about how to create safe space for people.
2: How has the global health crisis impacted your business?
3: Well, that the week before we closed, we went down to one class a day instead of an average of three so that we could clean and disinfect after each class. And then we limited class size to 10 people uh, so we could have space between mats and not too many people coming and going at the door at the same time. And then very quickly, we realized that this was getting to be a much bigger pandemic than we had thought. And we closed on March 15th.
2: Have you thought about, or do you do online classes?
3: I have thought about it and it felt, it felt very on me. And I don't, I don't mean to say that in a selfish way, like still want to provide service to people who um, were really benefiting from us being open. However, I personally, and and we talked about it as a group of yoga teachers as well, I personally don't feel that I can offer what I offer in a group yoga class online. Um, I really like to know who's in the room with me. I like to make sure that I can see everybody really well, um, that I walk around the room. It's not really about me kind of demonstrating at at the front of a room. So live streaming did not feel in line with um, how I want to share the practice of yoga. And um, many other of my instructors felt the same way. And there was also just like a overwhelming number of options coming at you all of a sudden once all the studios closed and many of those um, are free or by donation the only thing that i'm offering is yoga therapy which i had already been doing online and it's a private one-on-one healing modality more than it is a yoga class
2: like you said earlier some of your clients are greatly affected by daily yoga practices Are you concerned about the lack of services available to anyone in your community?
3: The specific population that I am am worried about not being able to find other services is the special needs group that I've um, led class for for about two years now. And so we are getting ready to go online for that class because I I feel like that group is not able to go online and access a bunch of classes that work for them. And they really need someone who knows them and someone who's going to be watching them on the screen the entire time.
2: How did you decide to start the special needs group? Uh,
3: actually, it was kind of, it was just, it sprung up organically. I had one uh, special needs adult who would come with her day time care provider to my class. And I realized in watching her come how difficult it is and how inaccessible most of our yoga classes seem. Like we, we say our doors are open to all, but really what we're doing, what we're saying, um, how we're presenting information, how we set up the room makes yoga inaccessible to a lot of people. And She stuck with it and came every week, and a year later, her case manager had said, had wanted to come meet me because she saw such um, changes in this woman, and then uh, said, if I get a group together of five or more people, could you do a special needs class. And I said, absolutely. And that's how it came
2: with so many people sheltering in their homes. Do you think a lot more people will start doing yoga?
3: I do. I think I'm waiting to see what happens. And I know in the, in the meantime, the thing that I can do best is to maintain my own practice so that when, if, and when either me individually, you know, or, um, our group of teachers is able to offer something again, that we are coming from a place where we still feel healthy and we still still feel safe and like our needs are met. So we're able to share. But I think yoga therapy is where my heart and my intuition is leaning at the moment, because yoga therapy can either be done in a small group, or it can be done one-on-one which is most often the case and it takes the physical practices of yoga but also yogic philosophy the understanding of how the mind and body work together to create states of health or disease and buddhist wisdom and understanding of the mind and then combines it with modern neuroscience and um, especially An understanding of how the brain changes during meditative states and um, as a result of trauma. And so it blends all of this together and creates a therapy modality that can help people transform either their responses or reactions to things, um, find greater peace amidst difficulties and reconnect to their body no matter what their body is experiencing, that's kind of the amazing benefits of yoga therapy, which I feel like everyone is going to need if we don't already need them. <laughs>
1: Misa, I know you have two kids. I'm curious how you've noticed your kids processing their emotions with all of this change.
3: I think for Kenzo, because he's so little, <laughs> you know, he's seven months old. His days haven't changed that much, other than he doesn't have to go in the car anymore, really, which he hated. So this is a benefit. Um, but for Koji, who's now you know not going to school, not seeing his friends, not doing like sports, physical activities with peers, it is um, a pretty big change and. He's been great. He loves to spend extra time with his brother, especially, and we're having a blast doing school <laughs> together. I used to teach elementary school, so this is like really fun for me too to do school um, at home with him. But there is um, there is an underlying anxiety for for Koji that I see kind of pop up out of nowhere. We'll be talking about something, and he says, well, at least we don't have the disease. Or he'll, um, you know, something was canceled. And he starts crying. And I'm asking him, why are you crying? And it's because he thought that the event was canceled because someone died. So, you know, I think that the kids are hearing snippets of the news, they're hearing us talk, parents, adults on the phone, and, and they're kind of taking words, these big words that they know are dangerous or um, inspire fear in adults, and then they're maybe internalizing them and creating other pictures in their heads. This is what I think is happening for Kochi anyway. And uh, when I talk to other parents, they kind of say that their kids are bouncing off the walls or, you know, having a lot of energy that used to be channeled into other things that now is getting redirected.
2: Are there any bits of wisdom you can share with anyone listening about how they can stay healthy and positive at home?
3: In terms of staying healthy, I think the the bit of advice take it or leave it that i would give is to maintain a routine um, that prioritizes your own health and this is never at the expense of anyone else's but sleep and food and a movement practice whether it's a walk or yoga or something you consider stretching or even dance I think food sleep movement and if you move breathe while you move those are those are the things that will keep you healthy
2: thank you Misa for taking time out of your day to talk to us and to be part of our project
3: thank you thanks for thinking of us and thank you for doing this also it's a way of keeping people connected